0: Lux occults is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast
1: Network.
0: Thank you.
2: was found by the bureau of statistics to be one against whom there was no official complaint and all the reports on his conduct agree that in the modern sense of an old-fashioned word he was a saint for in everything he did he served the greater community except for the war till the day he retired he worked in a factory and never got fired but satisfied his employers fudge motors inc Yet he wasn't a scab or odd in his views, for his union reports that he paid his dues. Our report on his union shows it was sound, and our social psychology workers found that he was popular with his mates and liked to drink. The press are convinced that he bought a paper every day, and that his reactions to advertisements were normal in every way. Policies taken out in his name prove that he was fully insured, And his health card shows that he was once in a hospital but left it cured. Both producers research and high-grade living declare he was fully sensible to the advantages of the installment plan and had everything necessary to the modern man a phonograph, a radio, a car, a frigidaire. Our research into public opinion are content that he held the proper opinions for the time of year. When there was peace he was for peace When there was war, he went. He was married and added five children to the population, which our eugenist says is the right number for a parent of his generation. And our teachers report that he never interfered with their education. Was he free? Was he happy? The question is absurd. Had anything been wrong, we should certainly have heard. That is The Unknown Citizen by W.H. Auden. Hello and welcome to Lux Occult. It's the podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin and most other languages, and also discuss a variety of occult topics. Exploring the intersections of magic, art, science, and philosophy, it's occultism for everybody. I'm Lux Estrada, and if you're hearing the sound of my voice, then that means that this show, and magic for that matter, are for you, if you want them. There are a lot of different ways to be more free or agentic, and using magic or making space for a spiritual practice in your life can be one of them. As always, I don't speak for anybody but myself. Others can, will, and should disagree sometimes. How do we learn anything if we all agreed all the time after all? And like anybody should be willing to do, I am willing to revise my opinions based on new evidence. Very excited to share the conversation I had with Eric J. Millar, the prolific artist, theoretical occultist, and creator of various oracular devices and other delights. You might have heard of The Disruption Generator, The Impossible Game, Bottomless Bag, uh, to name a few. Eric has also released a compilation of his work called Outlet Omnibus, and you can read his monthly newsletter, No Gods But My Own, as well. So fun side note here, uh, the music that you are hearing in the background was produced by Eric too. So today we will hear his thoughts about making divination systems and the creative process in general. There's also some really cool stuff in the conversation about pop magic and forging your own path and all kinds of other cool stuff. Uh, Perhaps fittingly, a sort of B theme for today's episode is divination. Um, And this is going to play out in a variety of different ways. So, before we get into it, though, I would like to say thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me here on this show. And I'm super fucking stoked and lucky to have such cool listeners and collaborators and supporters and everything, so thank you all so much. You all are the fucking best. I always welcome people's thoughts, questions, comments, suggestions, or arcane revelations. You can reach me at luxacultpod at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Instagram at Uh Even though I'm not great at the whole social media thing, um, which is totally fine with me actually, I still love to hear from all of you, so please don't be shy. If you like the show and you're into what I'm doing, you can support it on Patreon. Um, And if you do so, you can take a bibliomancy break with me. And speaking of divination, right? Um, And there are no tiers or levels or whatever, so give as you will. And thank you so much to everybody who's already doing that. Your support really means a lot, and I super fucking appreciate it. So thank you. Another way that you can support the show is by telling a friend or enemy or perhaps frenemy? I don't know. Word of mouth is pretty huge, so that's a great way to support the show as well. So, fuck yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, so one of the many cool things which my guest, Eric J. Millar, has created is a dice oracle called the Tethered Elements. And I thought it would be cool to conduct a divination using it for this episode, which I will do in a second here. In the meantime, part of the name of this episode is Oracular Vernacular, so I will now attempt to speak plainly about divination. And this might all sound very obvious to people who have been practicing for a while, but hopefully it could be useful to new folks. In general, I feel like a big part of conducting divination has to do with tuning in or being receptive or otherwise engaging with, um, in some other way, the extra information that we are all exposed to without necessarily being consciously aware of. So we're all taking in much, much more than we are processing, at least on the level that we're aware of. I don't want anybody to misunderstand my meaning here, though, so I'd like to pull out an old saw from author Lon Milo Duquette, which is this. Like, maybe it is all in your head, you just don't know how big your head is. Um, You know, meaning that we don't really understand consciousness very well, or how any of that works anyway. Maybe the tools that you're using to help you are helping you notice shit that something or somebody is actively attempting to communicate with you. I don't know. I'm not making any ontological or whatever assertions about what's happening behind the scenes here. I'm simply talking about the sort of mindset that is helpful in conducting divination, which to me can feel like a sort of relaxing of the filters, you know, our sort of like perceptive filters, like just letting them drop a little bit. I've heard people talk about the right hemisphere of the brain, but I'm not sure if thinking about things in these terms is too reductive or not. I don't feel like I really understand it well enough to say it one way or the other anyway. But before I get too much further into the weeds here, my general point is that it's not the tarot cards or the pendulum or whatever other thing that you might be using that like does the divination for you. It's a sort of interaction. Um, And we'll get into this more during the interview, but it's an interaction, and oftentimes I feel like the practitioner is a much larger part of the equation than the cards or whatever the tool is. Anyway, this being said, you can use whatever you can think of to perform divination. Although there are literally countless very cool oracular devices, like those Eric has made, and other means available for divinatory purposes... You really don't need to buy anything or be given anything. There's this like trope that a person's first tarot deck is supposed to be like given to them by another practitioner who's initiated into the tarot tradition. I don't know. I feel like it's super gatekeeper and I'm not a fucking fan of that one. I'm just saying. Anyway, I wouldn't worry about it. Get whatever tools you want to use in whatever way it makes sense and is possible for you. I've had several people reach out and tell me that they live in a situation where they can't openly have like a culty or magic looking things. Um, this can be due to a lot of different reasons like, you know, the family they live with or maybe the culture, etc. Maybe you really can't afford to be spending money on fancy cards and what have you. All of these things are totally valid concerns, um, and but they don't need to stop you from practicing. Chances are you probably have some stuff within hand's reach right now that you could use for divinatory and lots of other magical purposes besides. We've talked about this numerous times on the show in the past, um, and a lot of the stuff really is only limited by your own creativity and ingenuity. So I'm going to give some examples of fun or maybe unusual ways to divine that people have shared with me after the interview. It's always cool and interesting to hear what people are up to, so if you have a unique means of performing divination, let me know. You can reach me at lexicultpod at gmail.com, or you can find me on Instagram at Lexicultpod. All right, so shout out to Dave Neal for sharing that W.H. Auden poem that I read in the beginning of the episode. Very rad. Excited to share our conversation about sociology and consumerism down the road here. Lots of other cool stuff in the works, too. More on that later. Speaking of cool stuff, as promised, I will now do a reading with the Tethered Elements Dice Oracle, created by Eric J. Millar. Okay, what should I keep in mind to make this a good episode? Alright, fuck yeah. So the way that this oracle works is that one die represents processes and the other one represents states. So for the process, I have burn. Burn. And the state is within. All right, so let's read here. Burn, fire can be both destructive and regenerative. It's the flame that engulfs your home, destroying the life you know. It's the internal flame that drives your creativity. It's volatility and heat. All right, and within. This defines the interaction as taking place on the interior plane. How did the processes affect you inside? All right. So, fuck yeah, burn within. Yes, in the context of today's episode, this definitely makes me think of that idea of the, the fire of creativity and of passion and how that process can often be both destructive and creative and how often those things go hand in hand. So I'm just going to share a little bit more from the Tethered Elements Dice Oracle little booklet here because I think this is a great little tidbit that Eric's written in here. And this is under how to read with the tethered elements. So this is where things get sticky, he writes. Again, I don't want to make rules. Suggestions and ideas are all I can really give. It should also be said that, as with any other oracle, the reading is really up to the practitioner to decide whether it's truth or bullshit. It's my belief that all an oracle can do, with any level of honesty, is tell you what you already know. All the oracle does is let you see it a little bit better. Alright, fuck yeah. I like that. That... Tracks for me. Thank you, Eric. Okay, so moving into the interview, I should probably say that we recorded this a little bit later than is typical, and I'm afraid that by the end of it, this becomes apparent due to how sleepy I sound. But I had an awesome time talking with Eric. He's a very smart, interesting person, so hopefully, the fact that I was a little bit off my game doesn't distract from anything. And I feel like I'm totally in my fucking heads about this now. Gods. Okay, end of disclaimer. I will be back. Later on during breaks, to share an update about the Green Mushroom Project, as well as to conduct a reading using my newly built Magic the Gathering divination deck. And I'm also going to end the episode by playing a track I made as a sort of like weird divination experiment. But now, without further ado, let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Eric J. Millar. Alright, well, Eric, thank you so much for being on my show, dude. I really appreciate you joining me here tonight.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
2: So, as is the custom on the show, would you mind giving a quick introduction about yourself? Like, how would you like to contextualize yourself and what you're up to and about?
0: Uh, Well, uh, first and foremost, I guess I could say I'm a, a cartoonist, magical operant. I see myself first as an artist and second as a, a magician and... I basically make comics and write a lot. I've been writing a lot more lately than I have been doing anything else. So, yeah, it's really hard for me to describe what I do and who I am.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I like to open up with the most difficult question. (laughs) find oneself. (laughs) No, fuck yeah. I'm sure that people that are familiar with some of the stuff that comes out of We the Hollowed have seen a lot of your work. You're quite prolific.
0: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and I've I've kind of explored in a whole bunch of different areas. Like I've put out music, I've made short animations, I've done a little bit of everything. So it's really hard to like rein it in until like one thing.
2: Absolutely. Well, speaking of reining it in, you have sort of recently released the Outlast Omnibus, which is sort of in some ways a reining in of a lot of like the visual stuff that you've done, right? Like.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. That's that's 10 years of work smushed into one book. <laughs>
2: There's a lot of very cool stuff in there. And the thing that I like about your style is it's very visceral. Like it's, it's very honest.
0: I try to be I used to be a horror writer about a decade and a half ago. And that's kind of ridden me for most of my output for the last 15 years is I always bring a little bit of the the viscera in there. Yeah, try to be as raw as possible.
2: Yeah. No, fuck yeah, dude. Okay, so I'm just going to dive right in here. Like, one of the there. things that I really like about reading your thoughts about magic and stuff is this idea of reclaiming a sort of, like, individual territory for your own practice.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I've always kind of, like, even with, even with like, the comics and the books and stuff that are in the omnibus, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to work in the molds that other people work in. And I approach magic in exactly the same way. It's like, uh, I've actually been thinking about it a lot lately, like, because of No Gods But My Own, I've kind of done a lot of reflecting on it. And I think a big part of it is kind of rejecting the idea of validation. I think a big part, like the biggest hurdle, I think a lot of magical people run into is that they want to be told that what they're doing is right. Like they want the validation that what you're doing is right. You're going in the right direction. This is the right spell to use. This is the right, right. Everything. You know, you're reading the right books. You're doing the right rituals. Everything is perfect. But like when you go off on your own, you, you don't have a map, you don't have validation. And a lot of times you won't have any validation. You'll kind of get the opposite where people are just going to tell you you're wrong from the start. So you have to kind of just forge ahead.
2: Yeah, there's no substitute for one's own personal experience, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, you have to learn how to validate yourself, essentially.
2: All right. So fuck yeah, you brought up No Gods from My Own. And this is from The Damned Machine, which is, you know, the sort of like compilation of this, right? Like, yeah, that like this idea of like, what's driving this project no gods of my own and what resulted from it the dan machine which people should definitely check out it's like this sentiment that you sort of like summed up here like it's my hope to regain a more personal connection to the luminous through no gods of my own by channeling the urge to personify my needs into creative god forms so this is like yeah totally fucking classic chaos magic idea as you note right after you state that in this article here. But like, I, I just really love that adherence to this sort of way of doing things.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it, it, it really kind of took root when I first kind of fell into magic. Like I, I, I've always kind of been off on my own. So I kind of, I never had a group. It's, it's like being a feral person in a way. <laughs> like You're just kind of <laughs> out on your own learning how to do stuff. If you don't have a teacher, you're going to learn how to do things your own way.
2: Absolutely. I definitely relate to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I came up in a really rural area, so it's, like, there was no magical community there whatsoever. There was just a gigantic Catholic church in the middle of town and a bunch of other churches around, but, like, there was no occult shops, there was no community at all that I knew of.
2: No, that makes total sense. So, you wrote a little bit later that nothing against traditionalists or people who choose to follow a pre-existing pathway to the transcendent, but as you said, like, you have yet to find a system that works perfectly for you. Mm. You know, so uh, this idea of, like, building one's own system. I think that this is, like, a really interesting and powerful idea, and I'm wondering if there's people who are listening to this now, like, that are curious about doing this for themselves. Like, maybe they are New to the path of magic or spirituality or occultism or whatever the fuck you want to call this, like <laughs> perhaps like they're curious about the best way to like do this for themselves. What advice would you offer?
0: Well, uh, how I did it was I just kind of took the like I took the routine and made it ritual. Like I basically the way I started was really simple, really small. And it was just the idea of kind of taking what was already there and enriching it. You just kind of build a spiritual practice around what's already in front of you. And for me, it was just taking like daily routines and imbuing them with a slightly more spiritual potency, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. In the article in, in Damn Machine, uh, it's routine ritual intent. It's a saying that I've, I've said it a million times and it's it's the only difference between routine and ritual is intent. It's like you're you're going to brush your teeth, it, you can either make it your intention to just brush your teeth or you were doing a cleansing ritual for your teeth.
2: I like that. There's a lot of like interesting nuance and gray area to play in there too, for sure. Oh yeah. Definitely. Okay, so like yeah, I like this idea of taking the normal activities that one would typically perform adding a little bit of intention or awareness or whatever one wishes to call it to it mm-hmm. and tr- changing that through that intentional act into something that's magical this reminds me of an intersection that we've had in the past um, and this is like one of the things that you can find in the damn machine from the no gods but my own like the Oba mind right like Mm-hmm. So for me like one of the ways that I do this is for, like through like exploring food magic, right? Yeah. We all have to eat. Um sometimes incorporating magic into that act can be a interesting and powerful thing to explore.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although yours is your egg magic is way more beautiful than <laughs> what I usually do. Oh,
2: well
0: all these terms <laughs> are relative. I mean,
2: I'm I'm just curious though like in terms of that like perhaps there's some kind of an intersection there like oh for sure i did like the idea of the Mind, like because the egg is, is such a powerful symbol of possibility and uh creativity and and fred like the like sort of fragility that surrounds that whole process too
0: oh for sure for sure that's and yeah that definitely resonated with me when like i thought of the Mind and the idea like I basically stole your idea.
2: <laughs> it didn't seem like that to me, but that's cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I did with that a little bit, but I put my own spin on it. But there's definitely a big part of your stuff on there.
2: Yeah, I don't know. That, At that's least so how interesting. I viewed it. I mean, <laughs> <Hell yeah.
0: laughs> maybe I had a little bit of a misunderstanding as to how you do it.
2: No, but- I don't. I don't think so. I think that I think that's definitely probably true. I'm <laughs> s- Contextualizing these things in terms of. How others see them, it's always so interesting to hear. So that's very fucking cool. I love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I can't remember who it was that said it, but uh, you know, real artists steal.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> they don't borrow, they steal.
2: <laughs> well, when you steal something, you've made it your own thing, right? I think yeah, that's true, li- the, the, the semantic distinction there. Like, if you've borrowed something, it's like, I'm going to give this back to you. But if you've stolen something, like, you've taken that and now it's yours, right?
0: True. Didn't think about it that way before. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I think that this is, like, one of the things that's I really enjoy about your work. It's very fun. The idea of oracles, and I apologize if this is something that has been played out in terms of what people have asked you about. I'm sure that people ask you about this all the time, because a lot of the things that you have produced have been oracular devices.
0: Yeah, I mean it's all good. I I, I love getting questions about the oracles, honestly.
2: Okay, well hell yeah. So I'm curious, the idea of like making an oracular device, like when did this first come into your sphere of perception is something that would be an interesting thing to explore
0: uh I mean like the origin of my first oracle like why I decided to do one it was it's pretty unromantic honestly it was uh when I first met Keats Ross of we the hollowed it was about three and a half years ago now he was looking he was he was he was uh fishing for people to join the group and I liked what he was putting out and I wanted to do something and I just I was going to make a tarot deck. I I, I pitched him on the idea of doing like just an oracular deck and it turned into the disruption generator. And I thought it up in an afternoon and just dove in. So I kind of just accidented my way into doing oracles. (laughs) Uh,
2: (laughs) I think that's actually very perfect though for what,
0: it means to do
2: oracles i love that
0: yeah it was never really an intention but then once i made one i just couldn't help myself and i made a few more
2: okay so i'm curious like do you feel and and, okay maybe this is like a moot point since you've just like answered that first question (laughs) but like in exploring this territory have you felt like the the edges of some kind of like a philosophical underpinning that might lie behind this like practice of creating these oracle decks or these oracle devices, oracular devices or whatever.
0: I don't know if I really would say it's a philosophy as much as I like. If after doing the first oracle, I felt more free to just do whatever. Like basically, when an idea pops in my head, ever since then, it's just like no idea is a bad idea. <laughs> so the oracles brought me to the idea that. Even just working with an oracle in the first place, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> you you might as well. I mean, that's really the only thing that I got out of it, really.
2: <laughs> you, you say that that's not like a philosophical underpinning, but I think it might actually be. And I think it, you're actually hitting on something very fundamental about... Um, Uh, maybe some like rudimentary western occultism shit like (laughs) what people might consider like the work of the cup which is like the you know divination and stuff like that right like this idea of like being open and like oh i don't i wasn't sure like what it was i would just whatever and whatever would happen would happen and that's absolutely right there in that sort of like way of thinking about things so that's very cool
0: Yeah, it was definitely a flip switch between why and why not.
2: (laughs) I love that, actually. (laughs) The interplay between why and why not is a fertile territory to explore. Very much so.
0: Very much so.
2: (laughs) Okay. Okay, so for people who are new and are curious about developing their own oracular device, what guidance could you offer on that?
0: Uh, I would say start simple. Like, I kind of bit off more than I could chew with the disruption generator. Like, it burned me out.
2: Okay, so, and people that aren't familiar with it, like, maybe we should, like, go into just a little bit of...
0: Yeah, uh, it was, it's an oracular book. It's a a bibliomantic oracle, is what I called it. It's been a while since I made it. I forget the term sometimes. (laughs) 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 It's a bibliomantic oracle consisting of 120 components that were picked with a random word generator and every day 5 days a week i would pick a random word draw a picture and make a card out of it and then make a definition for that card and i did that for 120 cards it's basically like a random tarot <laughs> okay bound in a book
2: <laughs> now for you like were there any like themes that emerged from this work
0: um not really I know that there are some things that definitely, like, popped up a lot during, like, what you consider playtesting, I guess.
2: I think I remember hearing you speak about this in an
0: interview, like,
2: the idea of, like, I think it was Parasite.
0: Yes, yes, Parasite. (laughs) Almost everyone, almost everyone at least once when they first use the Disruption Generator end up with Parasite. And I've never understood why. There's 120 things to, to hit on, and almost always it's parasite
2: do you think that it could be the disruption generator itself like talking to the user
0: i mean it could be i mean it really depends on your uh, your view of things like
2: i don't know yeah i i was i was thinking about like this is skipping ahead a little bit like but your writings about some of the like pop magic stuff yeah and these you know flawed paragons and stuff and like creating a golem made of ink and paper right and like to what extent does that happen whenever we create something like the things that we create like can take on a sort of like life of their own in some circumstances for sure and it's interesting to think about what is this entity trying to tell (laughs) us right like
0: yeah i mean i don't know i think all of the oracles in a certain way are a little bit alive
2: totally that makes a lot of sense
0: yeah and sometimes i wonder if i was honestly just channeling something that already existed elsewhere and that was what was really coming out sorry i'm getting a cough drop
2: Oh, no worries. <laughs> it is cough drop season.
0: <laughs> Definitely. But yeah, sometimes I wonder if I was channeling something that was already out there, and it just kind of came through my pen in a way.
2: Yeah, I often think about that as well with my own creative work. Where do these things come from? Who knows? Yeah. But I did hear you speak about like the way that you envision people like using the the things that you make like these oracular devices and like where does this inspiration come from and I think I remember hearing you talk about how you feel that it's a sort of interaction between the device itself and the user oh for sure and I was wondering if like maybe there might be like a third component of like just this randomness that exists in the world like this maybe it's a, a more of a menage a trois if you will like oh yeah
0: I could definitely see that I could definitely see that like the uh, like the medium you use it through kind of taking on its own consciousness in a way. I mean, yeah, I definitely don't like I don't want people to like feel like there's a prescribed method to use anything, especially not what I do, because it is it's, there's like a level of intimacy that a person should have with the tools they use. And maybe the intimacy itself is kind of a component in how things work.
2: Yeah, no, totally. So, like, building on that, like, in terms of how you would hope people would enjoy your, you know, the stuff that you put out there, moving away from this, like, prescribed method, could
0: you build on that a little bit more? Well, I mean, I hope that people find their own ways of doing stuff. There's, like, I I do a prescribed method, but that's really just kind of what I thought of for how people should use things. I think, honestly, you build a relationship with the stuff on your own. Like, there was a, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy. He did uh oh shit forgot his name and the book that he wrote <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. he he uses the dice with his tarot like he he's come up with this weird like hybrid method of using the tarot and the dice together, and it was definitely not how I intended it to be used, but it's kind of amazing that he found that way, and I mean like I know people use the impossible game for a lot of the same kind of things where it's it's definitely not how I envision, envisioned it being used, but it's their way of using it.
2: Yes, okay, so thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> for people that aren't familiar, what is the Impossible game and how do you play it?
0: <laughs> the Impossible game is a dice-based oracle that takes the form of an imaginary board game that you're playing, and you use two six-sided dice to end up on certain spaces and you just play through until you feel comfortable with being done.
2: Well what I like about this though is it's a really interesting concept to be able to decide when you feel like you're comfortable being done with the game. I think that we're all very comfortable with the idea of having a very set objective in mind and like moving towards that. But like having something that is an objective that you have to decide for yourself I think it encourages people to explore some territory that might be otherwise unfamiliar or uncomfortable I think that's really cool
0: oh yeah yeah for sure I like I I hope that people don't feel like there's a that there's a way they have to play like I I try my best like with almost everything that I do to like just tell people like you have to determine what's comfortable for you Like, that's always up to you. Playing the Impossible game, like, part of me feels like that half the intention is to basically help teach people that you decide when the game ends. You know, it's not a spread. It's not anything like that. It's If you need three spaces to come up with your answer, then do three spaces. If you need 12 spaces, just make an entire story out of it, you know?
2: Absolutely. Fucking... Claim that space for yourself. You have exactly. to. Nobody else is going to do it for you. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: It's it's yeah. It's always up to you.
2: Fuck yeah. Okay, so how do you feel about taking a bibliomancy Reich?
0: Sounds great. All
2: right. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Hey, what's up? It's me, Luxa from the future. I hope you are enjoying the episode so far. I know I had a great time talking with Eric. I am here to give you a little bit of an update about the green mushroom project. So when I was reading with the tethered elements earlier, the theme of fire arose, and this reminded me of a remote ritual that we did the other day. So thanks to everybody who attended for the creative destruction automatic writing thing that we conducted. I really enjoyed that one. It was pretty fucking dope. Um, We're most likely going to be doing something along similar lines again in the near future, so stoked about that. I'm actually going to be publishing this episode, The Day of the New Moon, as part of a sort of like deep non-ritual. And connected with what I was just talking about, this like sort of creative destruction, abundance ritual, was this track that I mixed for it. And I'm going to play it for all of you here in just a second as sort of part of this ongoing working. As I mentioned, we're going to be doing this again here for similar purposes, but with a little bit of a different twist because it's a different time of the lunar cycle. So, yes, it'll be an interesting thing to see how it evolves and I'm very excited about that. Also stoked about the new guided meditation that we're collaborating on, which is written by Shane Thomas. This should be coming out within the next few weeks by the time this episode airs. If everything goes according to plan, we will see. Um, It's a really cool concept that Shane approached us with, which is a sort of like quest based narrative that is guided at the beginning, but then allows the user to continue and complete the story on their own. A sort of choose-your-own-adventure type thing, if you will. So we're excited to see what people will think about it. I wanted to give a shout-out to Living Ritual. I'm so stoked to hear that you're getting back into practice again. Fuck yeah. I love the enthusiasm and the creativity. Um, and shout-out and much love to everybody working on the Green Mushroom Project, regardless of what that looks like in your individual practice. I'm really excited about the next installment of the Audio Grimoire series about the Astral Temple, um, which includes a conversation that I had with Aidan Walker about the project and his thoughts on ways to connect. We also chat a little bit about his new book, Changeling. There's also a really cool panel discussion that gets a little rowdy at times, but it's also really insightful and includes a lot of thoughts about how we like communicate about perception and accessibility for people who are on the like side of the perceptual spectrum meaning that you have a hard time or just simply don't see pictures in your mind we also go over the basics of the green mushroom project astral temple and chat about like what it looks like from a very grounded standpoint of like praxis you know when you're doing imaginal magic and like what that kind of means In a very grounded way Um, and the next episode after that is going to be about the experiments that we've conducted in this astral space and the ones that we're planning Um, i just want to say thank you so much to everybody that joined me to aiden and to everybody on the panel shane rabbits miguel yara Marud from the faith blind council podcast josh um, as well as our special guest flood host of the xv planis podcast Um, definitely check out That show, which we are very excited to announce, is one of our new sibling shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, so we're really excited to be bringing them on board, as well as Primordia, which is a very fun show about paranormal investigation. So yeah, all kinds of great shit happening here um, at the network, and we're very excited for future collaborations and shit, all kinds of uh, fun and spooky shit going on, so fuck yeah. Alright, so speaking of fun and perhaps spooky shit, maybe more pop magic adjacent stuff, um, I'm going to do a reading with the new Magic the Gathering Divination deck that I built recently, which has been pretty fun to experiment with. But in the meantime, here is part of the track that I mixed for the Creative Destruction Ritual, and after that we are going to be rolling right into that Bibliomancy break with Eric J. Millar. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome to the Bibliomancy (laughs) Break. I'm very excited to be using my own oracular device with somebody who has made so many of them. (laughs) Do you have a question?
0: Uh, I mean, I guess my question would be is uh, how successful or how well-received is the uh, volume two of uh, No Gods But My Own going to be received?
2: Okay. Now, do you have a D4 and a D8?
0: I actually don't. I was going to grab them and I forgot them in the other room.
2: That is okay. I have them right here. No worries. <laughs> we will see what text will be appropriate to consult for this question. Okay, so it's going to be from "How" and Other Poems by Allen Ginsberg. Ooh, All right.
0: I got a beat.
2: You did get a beat. <laughs> You did get a beat. Okay. <laughs> I have located this text. <laughs> oh, Eris. How well received will no gods put my own to be? Is that the correct question? Yeah.
0: That's probably better phrasing than I had. <laughs> I got kind of lost halfway through. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs>
2: I must have distilled the essence of the question from hearing you. Okay. Tell us, Eris, please. Holy forgiveness, mercy, charity, faith. Holy, ours, bodies, suffering, magnanimity. Holy, the supernatural, extra-billion, intelligence, kindness of the soul. Thank you, Eris. I feel like that's pretty positive. (laughs) Okay.
0: I will take it. (laughs)
2: Yeah. That's, uh from the footnote to howl. Uh, oh wow. The very end of it. A <laughs> reflection on that. on on the process itself. So, I think that's very positive. So, getting back to the theme of the idea of reclaiming one's individual practice. I really do like that idea of again, we're social creatures. There's a lot of messages coming at us from a lot of different avenues telling us like how we should conduct ourselves and what we should think and feel and believe or whatever and the idea of, of creating that space for yourself like this circle that is really truly your own in terms of how you'll choose to interact with whatever it is yeah for you like in terms of coming to this place of really wanting to like reclaim that was there an experience that you had or like a set of experiences or whatever that led you to this, this place of like revolt
0: oh um- I mean, I don't, I don't think so. Not in like a direct thing. It's more of a... When I, when I was coming up and learning how to do stuff, I was really individuated. Like, I, I kept to myself. I, I didn't... Uh, I had a lot of trouble finding resources, so I had to learn things in really weird ways. When I finally did kind of wander in and find a community, a lot of what I saw was how to not do things. Or telling you that doing things in certain ways is wrong. And I've always I've always pushed back against that. Like, I think I saw, like, when I first started getting online and looking at, like, occult stuff online, I saw a lot of classes that, like, said, this is the way. This is the only way. And it's like, it, it, it can't be the only way. There's there's no possible way that your way is the only way.
2: <laughs> that just seems like a logical fallacy, right? In and of <laughs> yeah. itself.
0: Yes. It does not work. <laughs> It cannot be the only way. And I mean, I guess the like the biggest thing for me that kind of made a big strike against like organized occultism, I guess you could call it, is um, my mom was a uh, evangelical Christian for a while. And I saw how falling into a really strict set of beliefs changed her and made a really toxic mind space where it just kind of like feeds on insecurities and it makes you feel like no matter what you're gonna do, you're gonna do it wrong. So you end up getting paralyzed. And you can see a lot of the same threads of that in certain organized occultism, like certain ways people teach classes or interact with the community where they they're more than willing to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. They will they will tell you it's wrong no matter what. And it's just toxic. It's toxic to tell people what they're doing is wrong. Even if you don't like what they're doing, unless what they're doing is toxic, then I mean, you should totally call them out on that. Uh,
2: yeah, there's so many nuances here. Absolutely. <laughs> when, when somebody is, um, again, like we're social creatures, and I do think that there is always an inherent pitfall of falling into the sort of like trap of adhering to an authority other than one's own experience. Right. And obviously, this should always be taken with a grain of salt. I mean, mm-hmm. you might have experiences which are divorced from reality, and maybe you shouldn't take those as being like, yeah, one. exactly. <laughs> as, exactly. There are definitely also, things yeah, that are. It's highly contextual, but in general, yeah. um, it's probably better to go with one's own experiences versus whatever you're being told
0: right right, like, right. I, I i think i went down a, an odd path there but yeah yeah definitely there's definitely like nuances in how far you should go with that totally yeah no it,
2: again it's it's hard to talk about this stuff because there's always so many um contextual things that come into play but yes in general like fucking trust yourself like as You know, if you want to do magic, that's that's a big part of it is is learning to trust yourself and learning to trust your own instincts and your own uh, intuitions or whatever it is. Right. Like
0: for sure. Like I feel genuinely lucky, like I hit a point for a while where I kind of removed myself from reality for a bit because I went a little too hard and spent way too much time by myself and like spent about two years where I was doing nothing but reading books on philosophy, science and magic and didn't have any friends. And I really lost track of reality. Really, really lost track of reality. And in the last, like, decade, I've been incredibly lucky that I have, like, a partner that keeps my feet on the ground. And, like, she's she's an atheist. And, like, this stuff is just, like, gobbledygook to her. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so refreshing to have that. Fuck yeah. Like, she doesn't judge what I do. She just, you know, it's like, you still got to we got to pay the bills. You got to make, make dinner.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that's like a great thing to talk about too, is like the importance of exposing oneself to like other ways of thinking, like, especially in, in what you're talking about, like somebody that can like balance out the, you know, it's, it's really fucking cool to like explore these experimental realms and all that stuff. But like, as you said, yes, dinner must be cooked. Bills must be paid. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, I I come back to this so many times, like, this sort of, like, classic trope of the novice or, like, the new person in a tradition, like, being given these tasks of, you know, sweeping the temple floor or whatever, like, it's not really about cleaning, it's about, like, staying grounded.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an important thing, like, I mean, the body needs to survive for the spirit to survive, right? <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I think it's, yeah, like, all of this stuff, you know, when we play around with any of these concepts or practices or whatever, like, it does a lot of times come down to a sort of balancing act and, like, how will that play out? So, yes, I think what you're talking about is very important in terms of, like... Keeping oneself grounded, or I, I fucking hate that term <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> keeping keeping oneself like connected with what is going on in yeah. everyday life, and really finding like the synthesis of like those different ways of like looking at things. I like what Phil Hine wrote in Condensed Chaos about magic not being a way to escape from reality; it's like a way to become more effective within it. And, yeah. like, you you can't do that if you're going to be completely divorcing yourself from what's going on. So, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's got to be an enhancement. It's, it's not, it shouldn't take away from your life. It should give to it.
2: Oh, yeah. So, I heard you say that you're like, all right, I'm not going to be out here anymore i'm just gonna like step away i'm gonna like go i I feel this so often like i could return to like the the cave of solitude yeah or perhaps the fortress if we want to go with the comic book metaphor like the fortress of solitude (laughs)
0: yeah
2: and and hearing you say that but then like these cool things that you've been putting out recently seems to be like a little bit of a ballet against that like is (laughs) perhaps like there was an intention to recede, but now there's like these new ideas that are bubbling forth, like having to do with like this pop culture stuff, which is really fun. And I love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I had originally intended to basically just like not, not interact with the world, (laughs) at least the online world. I feel that super hard (laughs) sometimes. But like the problem is, is like as, as a person that creates things, it's incredibly hard to separate if you actually want to like sell those things that you're creating or share them. You can't just withdraw because nobody will ever see it. And if you value the ideas that you have and you feel that they should be shared, like it's kind of a necessary evil to be online. So I found myself being online again. <laughs>
2: no, I totally hear that. Like, and it makes a lot of sense.
0: I, I think for me, it's become a real, like, battle about discernment and how much I actually want to, like, how deep I want to dig my hands in. Because, like, I'm not a fan of Twitter. Like, I'm on Twitter. I don't like Twitter. Like, I don't like it at all.
2: <laughs> I do have a Twitter account. I've yet to tweet or interact with it. But I did
0: make one. Yeah, so. <laughs> I am i don't recommend it. <laughs>
2: To be honest, it's all very overwhelming to me. So I must take it in strides. But yes, like
0: I, I went pretty deep into it for a little bit, and like it made me feel bad. Like it didn't. Not, like not even like not even like the way I I felt like I was being insulted or anything like that or bullied. It was just like just being immersed in it made me feel worse. Like it was just this constant stream of noise.
2: Yeah, it well, I mean, just the way that it, the game rules are set up within that yeah. context seems like it uh, could lead to a lot of misunderstandings. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you can't, yeah, it's, well, it's like trying to talk to somebody in text message. It doesn't really have the same, like, it doesn't carry the same weight as the voice does or even if you're just talking to somebody
2: in voice it it doesn't like carry the same weight that being there in person would either
0: Yeah, exactly. Like we we're all kind of filtered through a medium and that that medium determines where we go.
2: Yeah, and so to expect that this interaction is going to be a uh, one that is <laughs> I, I don't want to say authentic but or non-authentic, it's all so contextual but Yeah. There's a lot of barriers to authentic communication, I, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And in places like Twitter and Facebook, like genuine interaction gets you less clicks. Like you, you get more from just making people angry yeah. or make them sad. Like <laughs> you, you, you get way more <laughs> yeah. clicks from making people feel like crap. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just an empathy thing for me, but like, I see, like, I see celebrity news and I just feel bad. <laughs> Like, I feel bad for the people there that, that don't have a private life.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. that, And it's so interesting. Like, I'm quite ignorant on all of this stuff. I'm, like, very divorced. <laughs> <laughs> but I could, I could definitely see how that would be the case. And, like, it is sad. Like, that sucks. It seems like people are looking for something, but they end up finding the opposite of what they're looking yeah. for. And that sucks.
0: Yeah, and... I mean, I have found some really awesome people that I've connected with on social media. Like, I can't deny that at all. And, like, I found you through Instagram. Absolutely. Like, we wouldn't have even interacted if it wasn't for Instagram, probably.
2: Also, we have mutual friends, though, too. Yes, that's true. So we we can't give the algorithms too much credit.
0: But, like, I wouldn't know Keith Ross without Instagram, either. (laughs) Okay, Yeah.
2: (laughs) I I actually have never taken all of this into account. It's possible that that is the case with many things, totally.
0: Yeah, and I mean the algorithm is I'm going to call it 99.99% bad. <laughs> but,
2: but the point, other 0.01, point oh one, <laughs> oh one
0: that is that is a seed of awesome. <laughs> sure.
2: I mean, <laughs> these things are, are they're tools, right? They yep. are used for good or bad, or whatever. But yes.: yep. Hey, it's me again, Luxa from the future. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Eric is about to share some of his thoughts about pop magic. Uh, Particular, the idea of using comic book characters as dietic forms, like saints or gods, for magical purposes. So I thought that this might be a fun time to talk about some sort of pop culture magic shit that I've been playing around with, which, as I mentioned earlier, is my Magic the Gathering Divination deck. So I started this one out just super simple. Um, I was thinking about this idea of, like, maybe push or pull or, like, growth or decay. So I chose ten cards each from the green and 10 cards from the black and i assembled them into a deck and consecrated them for magical purposes and have been fucking around with them in this configuration i'm guessing that i might add in other colors later but for now i'm just working with these two all right keeping in the theme of creation and destruction or creative destruction How can we best let go of that which no longer serves to make room for that which will allow us to thrive? I'm going to lay out three cards here and read them in a manner similar as I would read Lenormand. So, the central card will be the theme, and this is the card Awaken the Bear. I'll put a picture of both this reading and the Tethered Elements reading in the show notes for anybody that wants to check them out. So some of these cards have like little sayings on them which I think are helpful. When Temur warriors enter the battle trance known as Awakening the Bear, they lose all sense of enemy or friend, seeing only threats to the wilderness. Okay, cool, fuck yeah. And this is informed by a forest and a swamp card. This particular forest card has like a very grand looking tree. And this particular swamp card has a bunch of like kind of um, dangly, dead-looking vines. It almost looks kind of like H.R. Uh, Gaigari in a way. It looks very, like, machine So, like, what I'm seeing here is a union of technology and natural things that will allow us to enter the battle trance. Hmm. There's a kind of symmetry to the two cards which inform the middle one, which makes me think of a union of opposites being necessary to enter this, like, state of transformation. The figure in the central card is sort of, like, wreathed by this, like, green, uh, glowing shape of this, like, astral bear that's, like, rising out of them. Uh, So yes, okay. Very cool, fuck yeah. As I was saying earlier, you can use whatever you want to conduct divination with. Maybe you have some magic cards laying around, or perhaps some Pokemon cards laying around. Um, Pokemancy is a thing, and we'll talk about that sometime later on the show for sure. Um, but yeah, so there's all kinds of different ways that this can be done with whatever you have on hand or what would be fun or interesting to you. All right, fuck yeah. Well, let's get back into it here. Here is the rest of that awesome conversation with Eric J. Millar. Okay. Okay, so is there anything that I haven't asked about that you would like to talk about?
0: We haven't really talked about um, volume two of No Gods But My Own, but that's still really new. I didn't know how to follow up the damn machine. And I, I hit what felt like the natural conclusion of the first volume of No Gods But My Own. Or like what I determined was the first volume. And I was thinking of something like... That I wanted to talk about. And I flashed back to a a Twitter interaction, actually, (laughs) I had about a year ago, where somebody said that comic book characters can't possibly be used as gods in magic because they're commercial. They're too commercial. And I felt challenged by that. Like, I, I didn't get triggered as much as I felt like there's a challenge there. There's, there's, there's a seed for something really awesome, and there's a challenge in that. So I have spent the last four months just digging as deep as I can into the idea of comic book characters and superheroes as... I, I call them uh, dietic forms... They're, they're figures. So it's like, it's, it's kind of basically like treating them as like saints that you can venerate or gods, if that's what your, your deal is. And like, I sent you the early version of the, the first real article on it about Superman and Captain America and how you can view them as gods in a certain way. And that's the weird thing about pop culture is Like, if you look at fandoms, it's fanaticism, in a way. Like, those people are devoted to the the icons and the the creatures. Like, it's it's fanaticism.
2: That's what the etymology of the word comes
0: from. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that's the same basic level of devotion with just a few little pieces shifted around that people have when they approach religion or approach spiritual practices. There's only a couple of points of removal between somebody being crazy about a pop band and somebody being crazy about, I mean, heiress. <laughs> sure. Or, yeah. or whoever, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's there's, there's only a few steps of removal. And, like, it felt like when I had the Twitter interaction that kind of inspired me to go down this road, it felt like gatekeeping. And, like, I'm not really looking at, trying to give people a toolbox to use these particular characters as parts of their their magical practice as much as I want them to look at how they view how they approach their spiritual practice and why they use the figures they use instead of figures they could be using that might fit them better. Sure.
2: The idea of, like, treating these figures, like, from pop culture, from comic books, like, in a sort of, like, more authentic way. Like, not... Yeah looking at them as an allegory to a specific maybe predetermined god form but like taking them for what they are in their like honest conception of of what they're supposed to be within our own modern context
0: yeah exactly exactly like it's 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 mythology and like mythology was always meant to be personal in a way like they're all lessons I think a lot of people get kind of lost because pop culture is an industry now. And these characters are definitely, to a lot of people, they're just T-shirts and TV shows and you know movies that are at the theater. And it's like, these characters can be a lot more than that if you let them be. If you really, like, dig down.
2: Yeah, well, like, if you are experiencing, like, a um, connection with this character, like, what does that actually mean for you? Like, what does this, like, story symbolize? Like, what is what is actually behind the curtain of this, you know, thing that you're experiencing?
0: Right. And, and for me, like, I've been reading comic books since I was five years old. And for me, that's 35 years. I've been reading comic books for 35 years. Oh, that's so great. But, uh... <laughs> So I've been reading comic books for 35 years, and they mean the world to me. Like I, I, I have like hundreds of them on my bookshelf. Like I, they mean a lot to me. And these pop culture things, they they mean a lot to a lot of people. And if you can find something that enriches your life, not just in like a a, a way of being a consumer, like if they can enrich in your like spiritual life, like I think any any port in the storm for that honestly
2: yeah absolutely i mean like we never know like where we'll find you know commonality in our own experiences with shit
0: and yeah exactly
2: yeah absolutely
0: i mean i'm sure there are people that like grew up with lord of the rings and harry potter and all of that stuff that could easily retrofit that stuff into a spiritual practice and have it be deep and meaningful
2: sure yeah, or, or whatever or whatever people yeah. are into, right? Yeah, like whatever it, it they're into. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like what matters is like how you choose to contextualize it for yourself in a way that is helpful and meaningful to you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm gonna be exploring that for about probably a year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, dude.
2: Well, is there anything
0: that you wanted to ask me? Uh, well I'm I'm really curious about your egg magic. Like, where did that come from? What was the inspiration of that? Like, how did you come upon eggs? Like, why Why eggs?
2: Gosh, yeah, that's a, a complicated question. Um, <laughs> I'm actually not 100% sure. I think that a big part of it, though, was a thing about, like, food and nourishment and, like, the mm-hmm. possibility of, like, new beginnings. And I think that you touched on this, like, very well within, like, the idea of this, like, you know, God form of the Overmind, mind, right? Like this, mm-hmm. like, these possibilities, these, like, creative potentials, right? I think that that was definitely, like, something that I was playing with, like, when I came to this symbol as something that was, like, really going to be focused and meaningful to me. Yeah. I guess, like, even expanding out beyond that, though, like, the idea of, like, nourishment and food, I think was something that like i i needed to play with a little bit like i've had some like difficulties with my relationship with like nourishment and food and so like recontextualizing it in a very magical sense was a way to like take hold of some of that like discordance
0: i could definitely see that That, i can relate to that and then uh the the photography of the eggs is there a lot of intentionality in how you do the layouts and stuff because they're they're very ornate photos that you share on Instagram.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Like those are like in them you know just in and of themselves like a sort of like ritual like the mm-hmm. way of like communicating a certain idea like about what's happening. You know, like yeah. it's yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, because that's that's what like really drew me in. On the egg magic, because I saw the photos, and they're definitely they're they're incredibly striking photos of your uh, of your egg rituals. Thank like, you.
2: Yeah, a lot of it is about just a sort of like I guess in a way like a sort of exercise of like how can this medium be used to like convey a, a magical intent and a a thought or whatever, right?
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I <laughs> have definitely really enjoyed talking. Before I let you go, do you have any like closing thoughts that you might leave? new practitioners with or people who are interested in individualizing their own practice to people that are like looking to do that what advice would you offer
0: um i would say reach broadly for ideas and at the same time try to dig down as deep to your core self as you can i went through what i consider like a an initiation like working in a factory and it was just me recontextualizing how working in a factory affected my mind and affected my being and figuring out ways to tweak that. And I think everybody kind of has parts of their lives that they can tweak to make make their lives better. Maybe not in like an, a big big way, but even if it's just like a something that makes things a little bit more comfortable or a little bit more deep and satisfying and like, when you first start getting into magic, like, for me, I find a lot more magic in reading comic books and reading, like, Bruce Lee books than I do in actually finding, like, an occult books. So, like, finding a lot of different things to draw inspiration from for your spiritual practice is is pretty necessary if you're going to build your own structures. But yeah, beyond that, it's just kind of be willing to try stuff. Like, get weird. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Fuck around and find out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
2: Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Well, I really appreciate you being willing to join me tonight. This
0: was awesome. yeah you.
2: All right, fuck yeah. Thank you so much again to Eric J. Millar. Don't forget to check out the show notes for the link tree, which will take you to all of his awesome creations. Hopefully I was coherent enough at the end there. I was fading pretty quickly as might have been apparent, but I super appreciate Eric taking the time and I had an awesome time talking, as I said before. Um, And there was so much in this one that really gave me a lot to think about. There's been a lot of adjacent concepts arising in some of the chats I've been having with like green mushroom folks and stuff, just about this idea of pop culture and how we're contextualizing these things. And it's true that, you know, pop culture, as Eric mentioned, is a sort of like industry and You know, and this point has been made in a lot of different places, but thinking, you know, back into the cultures where we find some of these, you know, deities that we borrow from, like, let's say, like the Hellenistic era or something, and, you know, that was sort of the pop culture of its day in a way. And I mean, there definitely was a lot of money wrapped up in that as well back then. So I just wonder to what extent maybe that's always been the case. I really don't know. I'd have to. Uh, I'd love to hear from any, uh, you know, historians that might be able to speak more about this because I think it's an interesting topic. Um, But yeah, just kind of touching on something else that Eric mentioned earlier on about his creative process and that he has this feeling of freedom with it. No idea is a bad idea, right? Um, In terms of like trying out a creative project. And I think this is really dope because it sends the like, quote, editor, side of yourself out of the room so that the quote writer side of yourself can write it's just like one of my favorite metaphors it's hard for the writer to write when the editor's breathing down their fucking neck you got to send that person out of the room to do your thing anyway it also reminds me of what it can mean to sort of like i don't know properly carry out the scientific method perhaps Um, science is a method not a body of epistemological or ontological assertions that exist on their own, like, as an a priori thing. Anyway, not to get on a soapbox here, I just wish we could start viewing science as less of an institution and more of an activity. Anyway, speaking of science, I'm excited to share the weird bibliomancy experiment that I did the other day. I'm going to play that at the end of the episode. I took a stack of books and I read from them, you know, I, as quickly as I could and I recorded it and then I mixed it with some stuff and I've been listening to it to sort of like uh see what narratives emerge and what, you know, themes become prevalent. There is a track like in this mix of me doing the reading only in reverse and I've put that on the left side and I've put the like just regular forward one on the right side so you can sort of hear some different stuff going on there it's kind of fun um what else is kind of fun lots of cool stuff going on at the green mushroom podcast network we're super stoked to be expanding we've got our newest sibling shows primordia and xv planis so definitely check that out also don't miss faithline council podcast administrism ad hoc history unearthing paranormalcy and smuts up I think I got everybody, hopefully. (laughs) All right, fuck yeah. And as always, if you like what I'm doing here, don't forget to tell a friend or foe or acquaintance or somebody that you like to argue with on twitter or whatever your deal is (laughs) word of mouth is huge um i guess you can also do ratings on spotify now so that's cool hook it up with some stars if you want to you can also support my work on patreon at lux occult pod there'll be a link to that in the show notes and if you do that you can take a bibliomancy break with me and there are no tears, so give as you will. And I super fucking appreciate everybody who is already doing that. And um, yeah, your support really means a lot. So thank you so much. All right, as Eric Jamilar says in the introduction to the Tethered Elements Dice Oracle, Not every problem requires a complex layout that brings you down a perilous path of self-discovery. Sometimes all you need is Candyland. So, sort of in this vein, I asked some folks if they wanted to share any sort of, like, fun or unique divinatory methods that they use, and so I got a couple of people that responded. Okay, so here is from Ecodemios. What's up? All right. My walls give me this weird pattern, and the colors of the ceilings are textured, and if I kind of make my eyes go hazy and just stare at them, eventually the patterns will start moving and forming shapes and stuff. And I read them using the same methods as tea leaves. It's not as interesting, but wallamancy has been rather effective. I feel like tea leaves needs to make a comeback. Yeah, I like this. I think it's like, um, paradilia, where you can kind of see shapes emerging from patterns. It's a, like a subset of apophenia, I believe. So yeah, I actually love this too. I have a textured ceiling and sometimes I can scry in it like clouds, which is very fun. Okay, so here's another one. People throw pens at jars while saying a thing, and if it goes into the jar, then the thing will happen, or is true. So, and if they miss, it's not going to happen, or is false. I've been doing this for years with waste paper baskets. So that's kind of fun. Like, I mean, I guess you could write the question on the piece of paper you're trying to throw away and throw it at the basket, and um, if you make it in, that means it's true. Uh, I love it. (laughs) And so they continue on to saying like so many children's games are sort of like divinatory in nature, twisting an apple stem, like while you're reading the alphabet. And then the letter that it breaks off on is the letter of the person's name who you're going to marry. There's all kinds of different variations on this kind of stuff. I think um, from the past, there were some interesting things about eggs that we talked about all the way back in the egg magic episode where people, you know, would leave an egg out and if a Person, I think it was like young women would leave and this was like the Victorian times so young women would leave an egg out and the person that would pick it up would be their future husband. So, I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of interesting things like that. Also, the uh, suggestion of like reading coffee in coffee grounds that you've enchanted for doing like breakfast magic with. Okay, so here is another one. My flat faces a building with three different roofs and birds love to perch there. I set up a system that, depending on which roof a bird lands on, indicates either introspective check-in or a call to adventure, so to speak, or to pay attention to my relationship and communication with others. It's a fairly new system, and it's still cold here, so there aren't very many birds, so I haven't got to test it out much, but I'm excited to see how it turns out." Alright, well fuck yeah, thank you so much to Jack, Lucy, and Ecodemios, excited about all these things, fuck yeah guys. Okay, so a few closing thoughts before we get to that weird bibliomancy experiment that I'll play here in a second. I wanted to come all the way back around to the idea of like looking for validation that Eric mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. Because I think that it's something that comes up so much, and maybe in ways that we don't always realize... He makes some really good points, which I totally agree with. And I think it's really crucial to, like, rely on yourself and your own wits and creativity and judgment and, you know, all of that as much as possible in your work. And these are things that you can cultivate over time with practice and all that. You don't need to buy anything or be a certain type of person to do effective magic. Well, I mean, I guess, I like, suppose the case could be made that you have to be the type of person who would try doing magic in the first place and, like, anything else, like, to gain proficiency or whatever, you need to be willing to work at it. But what I'm saying is that you don't have to, like, look a certain way or have any certain set of criteria, right? Like, that's not a thing. You don't need to be smart or psychically sensitive or the reincarnation of some past historical figure or, quote, special in any fucking particular way. You don't need to buy anything, as I said. Though, if you do decide to pick up some magical supplies, support local businesses and independent creators like Eric. And if you're going to be, like, buying crystals and shit like that, like, I would highly encourage you to make sure that they are ethically sourced. That's just a sidebar. Anyway, the point is, is that you already, right now, in this moment, have the ability to do magic, and you can use whatever the fuck you have lying around to work with. It's all about choices and, like, choosing to believe it and then do it. It's also good to keep an open mind and be exploratory, of course. I'm not suggesting anybody, like, disappear up their own assholes or anything like that. But just, like, getting back to validation, I think that it's important to keep in mind that, you know, however self-reliant we might feel or be, we're still social creatures, and that means that we're sort of, like, physiologically programmed to need stuff from each other. Validation can certainly be big here, right? Acceptance, which is, like, I guess the opposite of abandonment, maybe it sort of like lies at the heart of validation right and like this stuff just comes down to like basic survival in terms of like the psychological architecture that underlies it all being cast out of one social structure pretty much meant death for us for like a long time so all that stuff is in there pretty deep psychologically speaking anyway Just saying this to remind everybody not to beat themselves up if they still feel the need for validation, because we literally all do sometimes. I mean, I don't know, maybe sociopaths or whatever don't, I'm not a psychologist or whatever. But, you know, it's cool. Just find a way to, like, you know, get what you need. Get the validation you need by healthy means. There's lots of ways to do this, right? Uh, So, yes, there. The need for validation is now validated. Nice and neat. I suppose that the point I'm trying to come to by rather circuitous means is about framing one's thinking. Try to find novel ways that whatever needs you have, like for validation or whatever it is, spur you on in exploring yourself and your creativity and your spirituality rather than being hindered by these needs, right? These things, you know, yourself and your spirituality and your creativity, these are like rightfully your own fucking territory. As a human, the use of magic is your birthright in a lot of ways. Like, as I always say, it's for you if you want it. Um, a simple place to start, as Eric suggested, is to look for and find small adjustments that you can make in your daily life in order to enrich your actions and experiences with magical intention. All right, well, I feel like I could fucking talk about this forever. I think I made my point though, (laughs) so I'm gonna leave it there, and instead remind you to resist. Resist by maintaining sovereignty of the self. Resist by maintaining love of the self. Resist by maintaining fierce loyalty to love and pleasure. Resist with acts of radical kindness. Focus on the path to better times. All right, fuck yeah. Thank you so much. Much love. Stay strong and stay fucking curious. All right, and here is my weird bibliomancy experiment. Enjoy. Cheers. It's the 23rd of February at 1717. This is a divinatory exercise that I'm conducting. I have before me a stack of books from which I will conduct bibliomancy readings in series. Without stopping. And I'm hoping to get a sort of uh, snapshot of what my work might entail, guidance, um, you know, some general vibes going forward. Alright, let's see how this goes. All right, this is is from The Elegant Universe by Brian Greene. Of our universe, that is, for explaining the properties of the fundamental forces, but that without knowing exactly which Calibri U shape the extra dimensions are curled into, we cannot make any definitive predictions or postulations. Beyond Witten's remark regarding the prediction of gravity, why can't we figure out which is the right Calibri U shape? Most string theorists blame this on the inadequacy of the theoretical tools currently being used to analyze string theory, as we shall discuss in some detail in chapter 12, the mathematical framework of string theory is so complicated that physicists have been able to perform only approximate calculations through the formalism known as perturbation theory. Games and Decisions by Duncan Luce and Howard Raffia can be taken the payoff function of a two-person zero-sum game. By the results of section 4.8, we know there exists a value v and optimal strategies x and y. a Big Bang by Joseph Silk. This plot of light intensity versus wavelength displays the spectrum of a quasar at redshift z 2.43. The emission line's peaks are systematically shifted in wavelength toward the red by a factor of z plus 1 equals 3.43. The first two fundamental lines of an atomic hydrogen, Lyman-alpha and Lyman-beta, are seen at 4170 and 3530 angstroms, respectively. Map and Territory by Eliezer Yudkowsky. This is not a hypothesis about the metal plate. It is not even a proper belief. It is an attempt to guess the teacher's password. Even visualizing the symbols of the diffusion equation, the mass governing heat conduction, doesn't mean you formed a hypothesis about the metal plate. This is not school. We are not testing your memory to see if you can write down the the diffusion equation. This is Bayescraft. We are scoring your anticipations of experience. If you use the diffusion equation by measuring a few points with a thermometer and then trying to predict what the thermometer will say in the next measurement, then that is definitely connected to experience. An Introduction to Cybernetics by W. Ross Ashby in which E is the set of essential variables, D is the source of disturbance and danger, such as C, from the rest of the world, and F is the interpolated part, shell, brain, etc., formed by the gene pattern for the protection of E. F may also include such parts of the environment as may similarly be used for E's protections, burrow for rabbit, shell for hermit crab, pike for pikemen, and sword as defense for swordsmen quantum theory by david bohm tends to oppose localization of the electron in an atom the pres- the pressure is opposed by the force attracting the electron back into the nucleus the electron will come into equilibrium where the attraction force balances the effective pressure and in this way the mean radius for the lowest quantum state is determined we can find the point of balance from the condition that the total energy, kinetics plus potential, must be in its minimum. The potential energy is of the order of negative in the squared over delta X in a hydrogen atom. The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGillcrest Drama 2 can either be completely absorbing or quite alienating, becoming a picture in which we do not participate. In order to absorb, the medium has to be translucent or transparent. We must not focus on the players or the playwright. Shakespeare completely disappears into his work. That's why bad acting can be so embarrassing. It draws our attention to the fact that the actors are actors into how they see themselves. They become like critics whose self screening causes them to obtrude between us and what they claim to illustrate. The implicit becomes explicit and all is lost. A Thousand Plateaus by Guilu and Pili Gutiari. Thus the central power of the state is hierarchical and constitutes a civil service sector. The center is not in the middle, Lu but on top, because the only way it can recombine, what it isolates is through subordination. Of course, there is a multiplicity of states, no less than of towns, but it is not of the same type of multiplicity. There are as many states as there are vertical cross-sections in a dimension of depth, each separated from the others, whereas a town is inseparable from the horizon network of towns. Each state is a global, not local, integration, a redundancy of resonance, not frequency, an operation of the stratification of the territory, not the polarization of the milieu is Guide to Genetics. Among sexual organisms, individuals that are able to interbreed among the same species. The biological proprieties of organisms that prevent interbreeding are called reproductive isolating mechanisms, or RIMs. Oaks on different islands, minnows on different rivers, or squirrels on different mountains cannot interbreed because they are physically separated, not necessarily because they are biologically incompatible. Geographic separation, therefore, is not an RIM. A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. There are two versions of the anthropic principle, the weak and the strong. The weak anthropic principle states that a universe is in large or infinite space and or time. The conditions necessary for the development of intelligent life will be met only in certain regions that are limited in space and time. The intelligent beings in these regions should therefore not be surprised if they observe that their locality in the universe satisfies the conditions that are necessary for their existence. It's a bit like a rich person living in a wealthy neighborhood, not seeing any poverty. Right and last but not least, the Fractal Geometry of Nature by Benoit Mendelbrot. We further explore my Brownian model of relief as advanced in the preceding chapter. The consequences concerning island areas prove acceptable, but the consequences concerning lakes and cups are not acceptable. To correct this discrepancy, an improved model is put forward. All right, fuck well, yeah, gratitude. Lux
0: Occult is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at pgmpodcastnetwork.com.
2: So, what's up? It's a sex positive comedy show your parents forgot to warn you about.
1: I will be a delightful host, Deep Weird, and with me are my three very sexy friends.
2: I'm Captain Spanks, drop an anchor. It's a I Spanker!
1: A Hi, I'm Raven hmm. Gunnigan, and I'm about to eat 16 feet of nerd's rope.
2: And I'm Luxa, and that is all you get to know about me. <laughs> Join us for a ride full of twists and turns as we explore the rabbit hole that is I human sexuality.
1: I, Sluts Up Crew, would like to propose...
2: Oh my god, he's proposing! A question! Get Arsten. down Arsten. on your Arsten. fucking knees! <laughs> oh if you're curious about expanding your horizons or getting more comfortable in your own skin, then the Smuts Up Podcast is for you. Or maybe you're just a horny nerd or a person who enjoys outdated references. The Smuts Up Podcast on. is fun for the whole step family. I'm gonna say the B, B word <laughs>
0: butthole sunning. <laughs> <laughs> if you
1: were to put a hot dog in it, is it easy? I put a sandwich? I don't know.
2: Is mouth. a bread dilder with a hot dog inside it a sandwich? Write to us at smutsup69 at gmail.com and let us know what you think about that. Available on your favorite podcast apps.
0: I put a D20
1: in my mouth. Nailed it. Hey, folks. Dreadnought here from the Faith Blind Council podcast. Myself... Frater Yara Marud and Seder Cologne have been working for over a year to produce a show that talks about practicing chaos magic with three practicing chaos magicians. We cover all sorts of topics from deep paradigm dives on subjects such as Gnosticism and Southern American Conjure to techniques such as divination and meditation and even sex magic. (laughs) But don't take my word for it. Check out this clip from one of our latest episodes.
2: But like you mentioned the eighth house being like the house of shame like where I've totally like, been to the house of shame before <laughs> where you're yeah waffle you're house. Things... yeah <laughs> 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 the only thing I have in my my eighth house is um,
1: my my moon sign so what's what's interesting about there being kind of shame associated with your moon sign and your emotions is that your moon is in virgo right
0: virgos
1: virgos are the like the sign that are the most critical of themselves like you it's very hard to hurt a virgo's feelings because you will never say something meaner to a virgo than a virgo says to themselves when they're by themselves For this and so much more discussion about magic in general, be sure to check out the Faith Blind Council podcast at faithblindpodcast.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts at. Thank you so much for checking out our show, and we hope to see you soon.